Uh, welcome to Hyde Wesleyan Church. Maybe you aren't here normally on uh, a Sunday morning. Maybe this is your first time uh, through the doors. Maybe uh, this is the second time uh, through the doors. Maybe you've been here before, but you're still new here. I, I, I want to I wanna say a special welcome to you. If you are uh, new in our presence, if you're maybe checking things out, maybe, just maybe, because I dared some people to do it, maybe you've been abducted and brought to church today. Anybody want to confess to that, someone drug you to church? Okay, good. No confessions. Maybe that still happened. I'm, I'm glad you're here. And, and listen, if someone bribed you to be here, if they promised you, I don't know, a round of golf, maybe a steak dinner, take them up on that. I'm, I'm serious. If someone said, hey, if you come, I will mow your yard all year long. If you come and be my, I'll take you out to lunch. Make them take you to Red Lobster. Do something awesome with whoever it was that brought you here uh, to Hyde Wesleyan Church. Uh, we're, we're glad. We're glad that you're here. I, I would love to, if you're new with us this morning, I would love to interact with you. Uh, my wife and I will be out in the lobby after this service, and we'd love to uh, interact and uh, visit with you uh, quickly as you're heading off to uh, whatever it is the rest of your day uh, looks like. We welcome you here to Hyde, Hyde Wesleyan Church. This morning, uh, if you're here for uh, the first time, we're about to jump into a, a brand new sermon series. Uh, it's the next four weeks. We're going to be studying together uh, a specific topic and a series of messages that uh, literally have been challenging to my... I don't know what just happened to the microphone, but it came back. Praise the Lord. Uh, this series of messages has been tough as I've been preparing it and asking the Lord to uh, work through specific passages of Scripture. And uh, the, the sermon series is entitled, Messy Grace. Messy grace. Uh, and it's entitled Messy Grace not because we believe God's grace is messy. We don't believe that. But rather we believe that God's perfect grace, when it is extended to humanity, it often looks quite messy. So I hope you will with me over the next four weeks. I hope you'll join in uh, with me. If you're going to miss a week, we invite you to uh, follow along online. Uh, our website uh, has all of our messages each week. Uh, we record those and uh, we put out the video and the audio. Uh, you can follow along with our podcast and uh, follow uh, as we journey together in looking deeper at to what, uh, into what God's grace means for uh, us. And God's grace, if you don't know what grace is, it's, it's God's favor. It's God's hand, his extension of his love, his acceptance of us as his children. It's a beautiful thing. It's a thing that if you don't yet know it, you need to. If you don't know of the gift of grace that offers you eternal life, transformational life here and life eternal with God our Father, you need to hear about it. I want you to hear from me that you can't earn the gift of grace. You don't deserve it. None of us do. We, we do not deserve God's favor. We are broken in our humanity. Thanks, Adam and Eve, right? We are broken people. But God offers us his gift. And, and, and I think as we look at the next four weeks, as we dive into what God's grace does in our mess, we can in turn learn to love people the way God loves people. 13 years ago this week, I became a dad for the first time. Some of you are like, what? That shouldn't be legal. You're right. God trusted me. 
to be a dad. 13 years ago this week, and Ella was born. You see some pictures of our two beautiful kiddos. I love being a dad. Some of the things I've learned in being a dad have forever changed me. Uh, you can call me uh, every name you might want to, but one of the things that I loved learning as a new dad in those early days, months, even years, was helping with bath time for our kids. I know it's kind of weird, but I loved it. Uh, you can call me any name you want, but I still believe that there is magic in the formula that Mr. Johnson and Mr. Johnson, whoever they are, uh, formulated in Johnson's and Johnson's baby lotion. Anybody else know what I'm talking about? There, there's something magical in that smell. If you haven't smelled that, go out to CVS or Clearfield Pharmacy, wherever it is you buy such things. Is Brenda still here? She's not. Go to CVS. You get a receipt that's this long. You can start your fireplace with that receipt. Johnson's and Johnson's has magic in the mix of that smell. And uh, one of the things I loved is right after a bath, rubbing our kids down with that lotion and wrapping them up like tortillas in their swaddlers, drying them off and getting them ready for bed. But you know what I wasn't ready for as, as I learned to be a dad 13 years ago? You know what I didn't expect to have to deal with was the messes that come along. It, 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 there's, there's no question. Something, something happens. It seems that as soon as a child has been bathed, and maybe you can relate to this, as soon as a child has been bathed and a brand new diaper is put on, in my experience, that child of mine knows how to wreck the place. <laughs> Literally, gravity was defied by some of the messes that came out of those clean children. You know what I'm talking about. Some of you are waiting for a photo and you're sick. <laughs> There's no second photo here. If you know what I'm talking about, it's, 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 it's unbelievable. Uh, no smell, no sight known to humanity is as disgusting as some of the messes that came out of our children and defied gravity in my life. Those same fresh, clean, swaddled, clean diapered babies had some kind of superhuman ability to make a mess. Those early months and years of becoming a dad, I learned a lot about things and experiences that I never, I never knew existed before fatherhood. Those messes continued too on uh, through these last 13 years. Kids still make messes. Amen? Yeah. Oh man, maybe not at your house. So kind of shallow there. Kids make messes. Amen? Yeah. Okay, you've been to our house. Whether it was spaghetti-soaked faces and hair, or whether it was the nastiest, stinkiest mud that Hyde City could ever create. Our kids know how to get in messes. But you know what's funny? No matter the mess, you know this, mom, dad, no matter the mess, there's an automatic kind of love that exists before parent and child. It teaches us that even in their messes, that's my kid, that's my son, that's my daughter. We love our kids with the same kind of love, whether they're wrapped up tight in that tortilla 
smelling like Johnsons and Johnsons are covered in mud from head to toe. They're our children, no matter the mess. We love them with an automatic love, regardless of the size mess they find themselves in. Can I tell you something this morning? The, the world that we live in, the culture, the, the, the people around us, media, would, would try to define you and me by the messes we're in. Do, do, you, do you get that? The, the world around us would try to tell you, you are your mess. Literally, the, the world has perfected the idea of telling us that we're uh, addicted messes. We're relational messes. We are financial messes. The world would seek every single day of the week to tell us to define ourselves by our mess. But here's what God does as our loving Heavenly Father. As the one who created you, God looks through your mess. God looks through my mess and says, that's my child. That's my son. That's my daughter. I love them. Hear me very clearly this morning. God literally says, I would do anything for you. I would do anything for you, God says. And hear me clearly, he did. He did everything by reaching down in his perfect way to extend his love by stretching his arms down to us, broken humanity, giving you and me the gift of grace offered only through Jesus Christ. We celebrated it again this week. God, in his providence, knew we needed a sacrifice. And he offered his son Jesus, blameless, blemish-free, perfect as a sacrifice that we may have forgiveness of our sin. The truth is, the God of the universe loves messy people. God loves people with issues. God loves people with bad habits and hang-ups and hurts. If you're a Christian here this morning, I I want you to know, let me remind you and me that God loves those who are far from him. God doesn't love us simply because we come to church. God doesn't love us simply because we've been transformed. God loves those who are far from him, those who are deep in messes, those that we think are so much further away than we are. God's love is so much more perfect than ours. God's way of loving is so much better than my way. My attempts, my human attempts to love are often subpar. They are often filled with imperfections and biases. My kind of love is often wishy-washy and available in a moment and not in others. God's love, God's perfect love, God's love for people with messes is perfect. Look look at the person next to you quickly. Tell them they're a mess. No, don't, no. Don't, Don't say that. Just let them believe it. So you're looking at one person. Now turn to the other person. They don't, maybe you don't know them. Turn to the other person. Look at them. And now take out your cell phone. Turn on the selfie cam and look at yourself. Or grab a mirror. 
Every person that you look at this morning, every person on this planet is a mess. Do you know that? We're a mess. We've got our hurts. We've got our brokenness. Since birth, we have literally been making a mess of things around us. We have issues. We have problems. We're facing real life stuff. We've got habits. We've got brokenness hidden in our closets. We've got our junk. We're struggling. I I want you to hear, if you're here this morning, if you can hear my voice, if you're awake and breathing, not only are you a mess, but you are among messy people. And God loves messy people. Let me also tell you, to follow after Jesus, to receive the gift of his grace, his acceptance, his love requires us to receive that gift and experience what we call repentance. Repentance is literally to stop going in a, a direction away from God and to turn and about face. Repentance is literally for us to admit that we're wrong, to identify our messes and say, I acknowledge that I am not living the way God has intended me to live, and I choose, by this act of repentance, I choose His path, and I enter into relationship with Jesus Christ. God loves messy people. Hyde Wesleyan Church. If God loves messy, broken people like you and like me, he in turn asks us to love messy people like him. Quickly this morning, I want to focus on a particular passage of the Bible that I I believe makes this abundantly clear. It's found in John uh, chapter 8. And if you have your Bible, I invite you to turn there. John uh, chapter 8. John is the fourth gospel, the fourth uh, book of the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. If you have your smartphone, you can download the Bible app if you don't already have it. You can actually follow along with an outline that we've provided for you. You can uh, find the events tab in the Bible app. If you search for Bible, it's the first app. Find the Bible app. You can follow along with an outline. You can take notes. You can uh, message us at the church. You can fill out an online connection card. You can do all kinds of cool stuff and play Angry Birds if you want. It's on the screen for us this morning. This account of Jesus and his ministry, I believe it's wonderful. And I believe it teaches us afresh and anew. It reminds us of how we have been called to live like Jesus. John chapter 8. I'm going to read these 11 verses. We're going to take some breaks in between. John chapter 8 from the New Living Translation. God's word says this, Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning he was back again in the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. And as he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery, and they put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses states clearly to stone her. What do you say? Verse 6, they were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. Stop right there for just a second. 
The, the scene is set right here before us. The cast of characters, it couldn't be any clearer. It's typical, this storyline, a typical of Jesus' earthly ministry, that a crowd had formed around him to uh, lean into what he was teaching. They were loving to hear this unique story of the kingdom of heaven offered to them. This inquisitive crowd, curious about this kingdom Jesus is presenting about. They are leaning in and then... Enter the religious guys. Literally, the, the, the Pharisees and these teachers of the law are, are like the, the, the pastors and seminary professors of Jesus' day. These are the ones who are supposed to know the law of God. They're supposed to know the heart of God. They're supposed to stand for and represent. They are God's ambassadors. And they step into this story. And they bring with them. They are dragging kicking and screaming this woman scripture says who was caught in the act of adultery that phrase speaks for itself without camping here too much longer just let that sink in for a moment that these gentlemen caught this woman in this horrible act of sin And they drag her, especially, this makes me so mad, especially in light of verse 6. They they, they drag her in front of Jesus without any regard for her humanity, without any grace afforded her in a moment. They are trying to trap Jesus, this teacher who's causing a ruckus in their norm. There's no thought about the humanity of the woman from these teachers of religious law, these Pharisees. Not even a mention in Scripture of the man that she was with. Only this woman read with embarrassment and horrified at the reality that she is facing certain death. These religious leaders know exactly what they're doing. In their attempt to trap Jesus in this moment, they think they've caught him. They think they've got one up on him. The law of Moses, sure, does forbid adultery. That's the seventh commandment. They've known this. Jesus knows this. If he would denounce this, if he would deny the truth of God's law, instantly he would be labeled a heretic and stoned to death himself. So what is Jesus to do? Before we read what Jesus did, can I just tell you, I'm glad Jesus is Jesus. What he does next causes us to go, I do what? Scripture continues. Again, verse 6. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer from him, so he stood up again and he said, All right. But let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and he wrote in the dust. And when the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Again, let's stop there for just a moment. Can you even imagine the scene playing out in front of you? You're a crowd leaning in, listening to Jesus. You're uh, learning about the kingdom of heaven. You're, you're leaning into this teaching that Jesus is offering. And then these religious leaders, you know some of them, they're dressed up. You know uh, who they are and what they're capable of. You, you see them bringing in this woman and they lay her before Jesus and they exclaim very loudly, she's been caught in sin. Let's kill her right here, right now. And Jesus leans down 
and starts playing tic-tac-toe? I don't know. What's he drawing in the dust? Scholars have asked the question for hundreds of years. They've asked the same question. What must Jesus be uh, writing? Some have thought maybe he's writing down the names of those Pharisees in the, in the crowd in this moment. Maybe he's writing their names down and he's starting to write uh, some specifics about some sin that nobody else knows about them. But because he's God, he knows their heart and what they've been capable of doing. We don't know what he's writing, but whatever he's writing, he said all that needed to be said. As he stood and addressed that crowd, he says to them, let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Scripture is clear. These bloodthirsty pastors and seminary professors slowly slip away from the crowd, oldest to youngest. They've just been served a huge slice of humble pie. Humiliated in this moment by their own attempt at trapping Jesus, they've been caught themselves. There's no option. They can't throw the stones. They know they are as messy and sinful and guilty as the woman that they caught in the act, a very public action. These men are corrupt and sinful. They are messy. They may look the part in their religious garb with their titles and their prestige, but they are filthy on the inside, and Jesus knows it. Elsewhere in Scripture, Matthew chapter 23, 23, Jesus is teaching a whole line of woes to those who would be Pharisees and teachers of law. Jesus goes on this list and list and list, and specifically in verses 27 and 28, Jesus says this, What sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites, he calls them, for you are like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but filled on the inside with dead people's bones, all sorts of impurity. Outwardly you look like religious, righteous people, but inwardly your hearts are filled with hypocrisy, and lawlessness. Jesus says some pretty harsh things of warning. And here in our John 8 passage, these religious leaders have had it. They know they can do nothing else but back away slowly. And then our passage continues in verses 10 and 11. And here this morning, this is where I want us to focus all of our attention in these last moments. Verse 10, then Jesus stood up again and he said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus says, neither do I. Go and sin no more. This is it. This is what we have to get. This is what I believe we must grasp together this morning. This is the point of the whole account here in John chapter 8. Jesus is asking, literally he's asking the adulterous woman, Hey, hey, ma'am, where, where is everyone? Where did your accusers go? Did not one of them decide to go ahead and throw the stone? And can you imagine her response in between her sobbing and trying to slow down her heart rate and, and, and daring to open up her eye just to take a peek she literally thought in those moments, no question, she would be stoned to death right there in front of the crowd. And she dares to open her eyes and look around her. And her accusers 
have slipped away. And she says, nobody's here, Lord. Jesus says in that moment, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Church, I believe in this simple interaction, Jesus is perfectly teaching us how we too must love messy people, people like us, people with issues and messes and hurts and hang-ups just like us, people who uh, for some reason we think are further away, they're worse off than us, they're further away from God than us. This is a huge lesson. I believe it's a lesson of learning to live in the tension between grace and truth. Can I admit something to you this morning without getting in trouble? That's, that's fun setup, right? Can I admit to you that we as Christians, I don't, know, I don't know where you are. I don't know who you are. I don't know what you believe. But can I tell you that the, we as Christians have often been guilty of taking sides. I stand before you as one who has taken sides. I love using illustrations. You know what this is? It's like a giant rubber band, right? It's my headband. I was going to wear it for Easter, like Rambo. You know what this rubber band represents? Right now, this rubber band has no power, right? It's kind of weak sauce. Nothing to it. Here's the sides that Christians historically have taken I want, you to, I want you to get this with me. Christians have, have often either been on the side of truth or the side of grace. Here, here's the voices of, of grace. Grace from Christians across the spectrum of Christianity. There's been a loud voice of, of grace, the grace side of Christianity that we do stand for with all we've got. We, we, we've taken sides oftentimes when we've said, you know what? what, whatever someone wants to do, let them just do it. Let's have grace for them. Let's let people be who they want to be. Don't we just want people to be happy in this world? Don't we just want people to be agreeable? Don't we just want to get along with everyone? Let's just have grace. No matter what someone is doing in this life, just let it go. This be grace. And then we have the truth side. Truth side's kind of like what we just experienced with these Pharisees and teachers of the law. Where they've said, hey, Moses' law is very clear. There's no questioning it. There, there's some ways in which we are taught no question how we are to live as those called by God. There is a righteousness that we've been called to. We've been called to be set apart. There's a, a truth side. And so we've chosen this side often. I believe with all my heart that in this interaction between Jesus and the adulterous woman, Jesus and these Pharisees and Sadducees, Jesus is willing to do this. Do you know how dangerous this is? It's not very dangerous for you. This thing would die if it got to you right now, but look at this. Yeah, I'm an idiot. There's a tension that exists that Jesus teaches us in this passage. Do you see it? Jesus is living in this beautiful tension that exists that we don't really like because when there's tension, there's some danger. Do you know what I'm talking about? Anybody else nervous that there's a little terror in this thing? I'll calm down. 
Jesus teaches us perfectly how to live in the tension of grace and truth. And you know what that tension is? It's love. Love is the tension of grace and truth. Write that down. Love is the tension of grace and truth. It doesn't come from me. I I read that phrase a couple of months ago as I was reading through a, a book. I read that phrase and I was like, I was so overwhelmed at that remark. Love is the tension between grace and truth. I, I liked it so much that I wrote it on my whiteboard in my, in my office. And I read it in a book entitled Messy Grace. <laughs> Guess where I get sermon titles from? Books sometimes. The book is written by a guy named Caleb. Caleb. <laughs> Caleb learned to live in the tensions that exist in his world. Caleb was literally raised by LGBT parents. He grew up in a family that marched together in gay pride parades and experienced firsthand the hatred and bitterness of some Christians towards his family. Nevertheless, in high school, Caleb began going to a youth group of a friend of his And he had a mission. He he called himself a a, a Christian ninja. He was trying to infiltrate and seek to debunk and expose Christianity from the inside. But guess what happened? The Holy Spirit got a hold of his life. Oh, it's so awesome. The Holy Spirit did a radical thing inside of him and spoke to his heart and life. And Caleb surrendered his life because of grace offered through Jesus Christ. And he became a Christian Caleb's now a pastor serving in California. He stands firm on what we stand firm on, the biblical truths. Quick commercial. If Caleb's story, just that little bit, intrigues you at all, the the study that I'm doing with 13 and older on Thursday nights because of some of the subject matter, it may be something you'd be interested in. We're going to gather together for a video. It's about a 30-minute video, and we're just going to have discussion together. I can't wait. I'm scared to death, but I can't wait. It's going to be great. Commercial's over. You know why some people didn't like Jesus? Do you know why? Because he did this. He confused people. Some people thought Jesus should have had truth in moments where he showed grace. Others thought Jesus should have shown more grace when he declared boldly the truth. Do you know why people don't like Jesus in 2019? Because often those who represent him do this or this. This is so much easier. This is so much safer. Either side. Either non-tension side is easier than the danger that exists in getting slapped in the face because of tension. Jesus confused people. You've hopefully heard me say it before that we as a church must be known for what we're for, not for what we're against. 
I want you to hear me say it. Hyde Wesleyan Church is for people. We are for men, women, and children. We're for marriage. We believe God has instituted marriage between one man and one woman for life. We are for people coming to Jesus and experiencing His transformational power. Not only that, but here today, maybe especially today, we need to understand and remember the differences between acceptance and approval. Jesus, in this interaction here in John chapter 8, fully accepted this adulterous woman caught in the act of adultery when he saved her life. Do you know that he did that? He saved her life. He showed, he showed her full acceptance, his love, his grace. But he didn't approve of what she was doing. In fact, he said, hey, no one's here to condemn you. Go and leave your life of sin from the translations we memorized as kids. Go and sin no more. I believe with all my heart if the church of Jesus Christ is going to continue to make an impact upon our culture, if we are going to win souls for Jesus, if we're going to take our battering ram against the gates of hell, if we are going to transform, if we're going to see this world transformed by the hope offered only through Jesus Christ, we must stop taking sides and rather live here. Right here in this tension. Famously, author and pastor Randy Alcorn said this. Attempts to soften the gospel by minimizing truth keeps people from Jesus. And attempts to toughen the gospel by minimizing grace keeps people from Jesus. Again, Hyde Wesleyan Church. To love anyone and everyone enough to build a relationship with them regardless of their lifestyle choices, regardless of their habits, regardless of how far or close they are to or from God, and loving them in such a way that we literally sow seeds of hope, seeds of the hope Jesus offers of transformation on a continual basis, sharing the love, hope, and transformational power of Jesus is what you and I are called to do every day of the week with every ounce of strength we have. Is it hard? Does it make for some uncomfortable moments to do this? To live in the tension? Do you know how common the tension is? Again, we don't like it. In the past several weeks, literally, as this illustration has been being made real again in my life, can I just tell you how often I'm reminded by the Holy Spirit of the tensions that exist? Do you know that our beliefs as, as Christians, our beliefs as Christians are full of tensions that exist? Our theology, do, do, you, do you know this? is so much more common than maybe you, you think. How about the tension of believing in one God? Amen? 
one God, there is only one God, and he exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I thought you said one God. In three persons, explain that one. There's a seminary student right now going, yeah, there's a pastor right here before you going, yeah, right, yeah. That's called tension. We believe Jesus is fully God and fully man. Any tension there? Fully God and fully man? We believe that God wrote the Bible and so did people like John. God used human beings to write the Bible. Any tension there? We believe that God is fully in control. He is sovereign in and of himself. And yet he gives you and me free will to make choices on our own. Uh, Tension. Tension. Tension everywhere. Can I tell you? We must live in this tension. We can. We can have tough conversations with people that we love. We can approach conversations when a a loved one, a friend, a best friend comes to us and says, you know what, I'm considering leaving my spouse because they're just not holding up to their end of the bargain. And we say on the grace side, yeah, you're right, you need to be happy. Or on the truth side, don't you dare. We can live in this tension. Love people through tough stuff. We, we can live in the tension when a family member invites us to their same-sex wedding and asks us to celebrate that they've found their soulmate. The grace side says, yeah, love them, accept them. The world is screaming it. The truth says, That's contrary to what God has called us to do. Let's live here. Let's have tough conversations. Can I tell you, can I tell you that since being your pastor, I've had some of these tough conversations with some of you, and I love it. When when people ask tough questions, when they're willing to say, I'm in this tension, I don't know what to do, I don't know how to respond. Can I tell you, that's where I love being in relationship with people. That's where I love having this conversation about God has said some things. He sets some standards and our world has turned its back on him. Let's live in that tension. Let's have these conversations. Let's agree that we are messes together and that God is the transforming one. Will you stand with me? i got to be honest with you, I thought about giving everyone a rubber band and asking you to slap the person next to you with it. (laughs) Aren't you glad I've matured? (sighs) I'm glad today that God loves messy people. Do you need it in your own language? That God loves sinners such as I. And I am glad this morning that God has asked us to love messy people. And I'm most of all thankful 
And because we serve a risen Savior, He is existing here and now in this plane, in this experience through His Holy Spirit. He continues to come upon us and teach us, give us the power and the strength and the wisdom to love in the tension. We don't do it on our own. I can't do it on my own. Will you bow your heads with me? Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for the resurrection. Thank you for conquering death, sin, the grave. Thank you for the hope that we have because of a risen Savior on this Easter Sunday. Thank you for a power that exists that we are called to tap into through your Holy Spirit. Thank you for loving a sinner such as I, a messy person. Thank you for your grace that is so perfect. Thank you for desiring so much to be in relationship with every man, woman, and child on this planet that you, God, in your providence, sent Jesus to be that sacrifice for me, for us. Thank you for the power you give us to step into the tensions that exist. Help us. Help us. We are asking, we are asking that you would help us. Help us to love like you. Thank you, Jesus, for loving the adulterous woman, saving her life, and calling her to the truth that exists from your word. Thank you for modeling the tension of love between grace and truth. Help us in these coming weeks to continue to be challenged together by your word, to grow in your grace, your truth. I pray this in Jesus' name. And God's people on Easter Sunday said, Amen. Amen.